They're seeing God do all of these things in their lives, these incredible things that could only be explained by God. You would think that after seeing God do these things, they would be pretty firm in their faith. You would think that they would be committed to God in a very serious way, but here they are at the base of Mount Sinai, and they rebel against God, and they make a golden calf, and they start to worship this calf. So God gets with Moses. Moses comes up on the mountain with him, and God gives Moses the law. Moses comes down from the mountain, and he starts teaching on the law day after day, law after law, rule after rule. Moses is teaching on the law. And the people start to forget about the goodness of God. They start to get about the faithfulness of God. They start to forget who God is. And I could picture these people hearing rule after rule after rule and law after law and saying, like, do we really want to serve a God of rules? So God brings Moses back up on the mountain, and he gets with Moses, and he gives Moses this script. And he says, I want you to read this script to the people twice a day. So twice a day, Moses is reading this script to, this, to the people. This script reveals who God is. It reveals God's, God's character, his nature, and his heart for these people, and his heart for you and for me. The first phrase in the script is, The Lord bless you. The first thing that God wants these people to know is that he is a God who blesses them. We obviously see this carried out to the fullest extent in the New Testament when God gives his son to pay for the sins of the world, to pay for your sins and for mine. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but the last year has been one of the biggest complaining sessions in history. Like everyone's worked up about something. Everyone is complaining about something. And, and, I, and I'm right with you. Like there's plenty of things that I think are unfair and unjust. And because of that, I'm frustrated and I want to verbalize my frustration and, and I get into complaining just like everyone else. And I wonder if in that time of complaining, if we have lost out, if we've missed out on, if we've forgotten the fact that we serve a God who blesses us. I wonder if we've begun to forget about the, forget about the blessings of the Lord in our life. You serve a God who blesses you. The children of Israel forgot to look back at the faithfulness of God over the course of their life. And they measured the faithfulness of God, they measured the goodness of God based on how they feel right now. Not based on everything that God had done all throughout their lives, based on how they felt right now. You know, I can't help but draw the comparison between the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, forgetting about the goodness and faithfulness of God throughout their life, and us today. The children of Israel have been isolated. They've been stuck, camped out for about a year. That's kind of similar to how some of us feel. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and we've been stuck here for about a year, a little over a year, and it's been frustrating. It's been very frustrating for us. And I wonder if in that frustration, some of us have forgotten how good God has been to us in our life. We've forgotten how faithful, how kind, how blessed we really are by God. I was talking to Ben this week about this very thing. And he said when he thinks about finances and about money, he oftentimes doesn't really think that God has like provided for him in like some amazing way. Like there's never been a time where like he had a bill and didn't have the money for it and God miraculously provided for that bill. 
So that makes them feel like God has never really provided for me in, in a financially in, in a, like a miraculous way. He's like, but then I think about it and I realize I've always had a place to stay. I've always had a house I could stay in. I've always had a job I could go to and make money. I've always had a car that I can use to get to a job to make money and to do everything else that I need to do in my life. I've always had enough food to eat. I've always been able to pay my bills. I've even been able to do things that weren't really needs. They were just desires or wants. So, you know, the more I think about it, there's actually never been a time in my life where I had a bill and I didn't have the money to pay for it. I guess when I really think about it, God actually has provided for me in an incredible way all throughout my life. And I think oftentimes that's where most of us end up in a season like we've been in we end up missing out on the fact that we actually are very, very blessed. When I was 12 years old, um, I went on a missions trip from this church. You were supposed to be 13 years old to go on this missions trip, but I begged and I asked, and finally they said, okay, you can go. So we went on this missions trip to Mexico. And to be totally honest, when I, um, when I left to go on this missions trip, I wouldn't really have considered myself to be very blessed if I'm totally honest, there's times I looked around at other people who had more than me, and I felt like I was missing out sometimes. We got to Mexico, and I saw people who lived a very, very different life than I did. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was very, very blessed in a way that I didn't even realize. Maybe some of you have traveled around the world and had a similar experience where you see other people's lives, and all of a sudden, you feel very, very blessed. Um, one specific day, we went to this church to do their Sunday morning service, and we did the whole service. We got done, and we were about to go to lunch, and uh, the pastor came, and he said some, said some stuff, and the translator translated it, and he said, well, he said, there's a, an elder from their church who's been sick for five months, and he hasn't been able to come to church, and he's wondering if you guys would be willing to go and to pray for this man, and we said, sure. So we said, where does he live? And he kind of like turns, and he looks, and he points to the top of a mountain, we're like, okay, yeah, we'll go. So half of our team didn't really feel up for climbing a mountain, understandably so. But the rest of us said, yeah, let's go do it. So we start up this mountain. We left at about 1130. Eventually, it's about 4 o'clock, and we're still not there yet. I mean, we've walked through like five different villages. We're getting higher and higher up this mountain. And I'm looking at the clock and like thinking like, man, like it's going to be well after dark by the time we get back. And then we have like a two-hour van ride to get back to the place that we're staying. Like... Man, this has taken a while. But then I thought about it a little more, and I'm like, this old elder from this church walks this way home after church every single day, like every Sunday. It's an amazing commitment. So we kept walking. Finally, we get to the village where this guy is staying. And when I say house, that's a very generous term that I'm using there because this guy didn't really live in much of a house. In fact, none of the people in any of the villages that we had walked through would live in, were living in what I would consider to be a house. I mean, if anything, it'd be like a shack, and even that's a little bit generous. So he leads us, this, the pastor's son leads us to this guy's house, and we go there, and there's not really a door on the house. There's just like a board that's maybe like 18 inches wide, covering up an opening, and you pick up the board and set it to the side, and then you can, can walk in the house. So we walked in the house, and we went in, and there was a dirt floor, and uh, the pastor had said the guy had been in bed and wasn't, hadn't been able to get out of bed for five months. So we got there, and he was laying on a couple pieces of cardboard. That was his bed. So we got there, and we started praying for this guy. And I looked around, and there was 
three trees that kind of made like a triangle, and they had nailed up two horizontal boards between the trees and then put some vertical boards up on those horizontal boards, kind of like a fence or something like that. And then they put a post to kind of make it into a square. And I'm looking around at this house, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is where this guy lives. Like, there's like one-inch slats between the boards, like daylight coming in everywhere. If, there, if it rains, like this, there's going to be a pool in this guy's house. He had like three sheets of tin on, sitting on top of the house that looked like it had been nailed on five or six other houses before it got there. There was just holes everywhere in it. And I started thinking to myself, like, man, like, I am so blessed in a way that I didn't even realize before this moment. And then we finished praying for the guy, and he said some stuff, and we didn't know what he was saying. And so the pastor's son said, he said, thank you for coming. He feels very blessed to be a part of the body of Christ that would come and minister to him. And he feels so blessed that he would get to have a relationship with Jesus. So here I am in that place feeling like, man, my life is so blessed practically, like financially and with all my material needs in life. This guy doesn't have any of those things and he still feels blessed. He feels blessed to be a part of a group of believers that would come and minister to him and he feels blessed that he gets to have a relationship with Christ. So we live a life that is blessed materially and financially, but we also are so blessed that God allows us to be a part of his body, and a part of a group of believers that can care for one another. And we're blessed that we get to have a relationship with him. The next line says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The word for keep that's used here is shamar, and it means to safeguard or protect. The God who placed the stars in the sky, the God who spun the earth and it's never stopped spinning, is your protector. That's so amazing. On Monday, on Memorial Day, we were at the park for a picnic and then a few of us went over to the basketball court to play basketball and they dragged me over there, so I went over to play. And I don't play basketball very much anymore. I'm not really in, in basketball shape at all, but I used to play basketball a lot. We played for about a half an hour, and then I was out of gas and felt like I was going to die, so we stopped playing. But back in the day, I used to play a lot. One time when I was in seventh grade, I was at that same park playing basketball, and a minivan drove up, and somebody yelled, Lonnie, let's go. I didn't know who it was, so I ran over, and it was uh, four guys that were on the varsity basketball team. And I was in seventh grade, and that year, modified sports had gotten cut from the school budget, so that would have been like the first year I could have played like organized basketball. So I didn't even get to do that. So I'd like never even played organized basketball before. And these four guys were in, in the van and they were asking me to go with them. And they had signed up to play in a basketball tournament in Perry. And uh, there was two guys that were supposed to go with them. You're supposed to have six guys, but you have to have at least five to play or else you don't get into the tournament. So these two guys bailed on them last minute. So they came to the park looking for somebody to go. So they saw me, they asked me to go. So I hop in the van and off we go to Perry and we get over there and the guy who drove was filling out the paperwork for the tournament and he had to lie about how old I was because he had to be 16 to get in. So I'm like, oh man, like I've never pl really played organized basketball before. I'm going to be the youngest person in there. So this is going to be bad. So then we walk in the door and it's like as soon as we walk in the door, I look over at one basket and this guy's throwing an alley-oop to this guy who looks like he just jumped over a car and takes it with two hands and dunks it. This other guy who has a beard like down to here, looks like he just climbed out of the mountain, he's playing over there and he's got his two children watching him. And I'm like, 
these guys are going to eat me for lunch. Like, this is going to be so bad. So I, start, I said, you know what, like, I'm, maybe I can sneak out of here. So I like, turn around to look out the back door to see if, like, is there any way I can sneak out of here yet? And behind me were these two guys. And there were these two guys that were riding in the back of the minivan that we rode over in. And when they were in the back of the minivan, like, they were riding like this because they're so big. They were Steve and Matt Bogart. We called them the Bogart brothers. They were both 6'8", probably 250, 260. I mean, these guys are big. They're huge. They're strong. They look like football players, but they're really good at basketball. So I turned around and looked at them. Then I turned around and looked at the gym. And all of a sudden, I felt very different about our chances of winning this tournament. <laughs> so now, now I'm not like terrified of this tournament. Now I'm dreaming. Okay, So I'm going, we're taking this trophy home tonight, and I get to go to school on Monday morning and tell everybody that we won this tournament. Like, this, is, this could be really good for my reputation. You know, this, this could work out. So we go, we play, we win the tournament. And I go to the school and tell everyone that, that I helped us. They couldn't have won without me, which was technically true because they couldn't have gotten into the tournament without me. But um, full well, I knew that I didn't play a big role in what happened that night. Um, I was there, and yeah, we got to be in the tournament, but if I got an open shot and I happened to make it, the only reason I got an open shot was because the Bogart brothers were double and triple teamed with guys hanging off their shoulders trying to stop them. And if, some, if I was playing defense and some guy missed, it wasn't because I was a stellar defender, it was because there was giants behind me that they were terrified of. <laughs> we ought to walk through life like I walked into that tournament that day. We ought to walk through life realizing we have the God that made everything that we see in this world as our protector. If you find yourself in a situation where you're scared, you need to remind yourself that God is your protector. If you come up against a situation that's bigger than what you can handle, guess what? God is your protector. It's like when David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He reminded himself of the truth. Then he said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can just picture David in that moment feeling scared and reminding himself of who was with him. Another time David said, I lift my eyes up to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. David was doing exactly what I'm talking about. David was reminding himself of who he was with. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. We need to realize that we are walking through life with the smile of heaven pointed in our direction. God is looking upon each one of you with his favor. How many situations in your life could you use some more favor in? I know there's hundreds of situations in my life that I could use more favor in. We need to realize that we already have all the favor that we need in our life in those situations. We just walk through life unaware of the fact that we have that favor pointed in our direction. Maybe some of you have had a relationship with somebody, a friendship or whatever, with someone who just liked you for no real reason wasn't like you offered something to that person in relationship. It wasn't like there was some benefit to them being friends with you. It was just like they took interest in you and liked you for who you are. That's exactly how it is with God. God likes you for who you are. 
He enjoys you. My wife and I were in uh, Henrietta doing our, getting our taxes done, and uh, we were driving there, and on the way there, we passed a Hobby Lobby. And I don't really know what Hobby Lobby is, but my wife did know what Hobby Lobby was or is. And she saw it, and she got excited, and she said, we have to go to Hobby Lobby on the way back. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So we go do our taxes, and we go to Hobby Lobby, and little did I know that our savings was about to disappear. <laughs> she knew we were getting a tax return, and that was just gone. Like, every sign with every phrase she ever dreamed of in her life was in this store just waiting for her. So she started walking around and looking at stuff, and... And I followed her around for a while, then I got bored, and I went and I looked at stuff, but there was nothing that I really wanted. So then a while later, she texted me. She said, hey, I found a perfect sign. I found a sign I like. I said, okay. So I went over to her, and she had found a sign with a phrase on it that I say often. I'd never seen it like on a sign before. The phrase is, I love you, and I like you. It's a phrase that I say to my kids all the time, and it comes from me at a certain time in my life having a revelation from God that not only does he love me, but he likes me. And I kind of knew that God had to love me, like he's God and he is love, and that's like his job to like us. But I thought, for me, maybe not for you, but for me, I kind of felt like he maybe put up with me a little bit, you know? But no, God said he liked me, and it changed something in my heart. And so I oftentimes will say that to my kids, I love you, and I like you. That's how it is with God and you. God's not putting up with you. God genuinely actually likes you. When you finally get what God's been trying to teach you, he's so proud of you. And when you fail and you don't get it again, he has compassion for you. When God told Moses to tell this to the people, he was reminding the people that he isn't just about rules and regulations. He genuinely likes and enjoys us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. God wants you to know that he is gracious towards you. There are times in my life where I've been very slow to learn what God was trying to teach me. There are times when I've gone and I've sinned and I've done things that I know I shouldn't do and I knew ahead of time and I went and I did it anyways. And there's times that there were things that I should go do and I didn't do those things that I should do. And in those times, I've often been surprised how gracious God has been with me. And I know I'm not the only one who, do, who does those things. I know you all do too because you've told me. But God is still gracious. He still looks at you from a position of being gracious towards you. And then God goes a step further, and he says, the Lord turn his face toward you. This is a step further than just being gracious. This is God saying, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not done with you. Yes, the one here who feels like God should be done with them. The one who thinks God should give up on him or her. Maybe the one who was too hungover to make it to church on Sunday morning. Maybe the one who's gone back to the same sin over and over and over again. The one who feels shame so heavy on your shoulders that you feel like you can barely pick up your head. The one who puts a mask on and acts fake all the time, but you know you're a mess inside. God says to you, I'm not done with you yet. God turns his face towards you, and when you look in his eyes, what is communicated in his look is that I who started this work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God says he isn't giving up on you. Turning his face towards you communicates hope 
It communicates hope for your situation and your life. His look communicates hope for the situation that right now you feel like is hopeless. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Man, peace feels, sounds good right now, doesn't it? Here we are in 2021, which is a time that's being coined as the age of anxiety. We have anxiety attacks. We have anxiety disorders. We're hoping to have Camp Judah in a couple uh, months, Lord willing, and New York State willing. Um, and uh, back when I was a camper at Camp Judah, the nurse used to come to lunch and she would bring the meds for the campers in her purse. There would be maybe three or four kids that had meds and she could fit them in her purse easily. Now she needs a vehicle to drive the meds to the cafeteria for the campers because there's so many of them. And a good portion of them are anxiety meds. I'd venture to say probably half of the country is on medicine for some type of anxiety. Maybe it's uh, drugs that have been professionally prescribed by a doctor, or maybe they're just self-medicating. But I would venture to say maybe half of the country is struggling with anxiety. That's completely crazy. And when you see the, the medication that people are taking for anxiety, it's almost like you would think it was a new thing, like it was anxiety was the thing that just appeared in the 20th century. Truth is, anxiety is not new at all. It's not a new thing by any stretch of the imagination. The Bible talks about fear more than almost any other topic. All throughout the Bible, the Bible clearly speaks to fear and anxiety and worry. God has a prescription that he's been prescribing for anxiety for thousands of years. He says, I will give you peace. Man, peace sounds awfully good in a time where it feels like peace is nowhere to be found in our world. I will give you peace. And he doesn't just say he'll give us peace. He says he'll give us peace that surpasses understanding. In other words, there's times, there's situations in your life where being anxious or being worried or being afraid might even be an appropriate response. But in those places, he says, I'll give you peace that doesn't even make sense. It gives me a lot of peace to see how big God is compared to the world, compared to everything that we walk through in life. He's so much bigger. We felt to do something a little bit different at the end of the service today. I want to invite the leaders who have agreed to, to help this morning. You can go ahead and come, up, come forward. Um, there's a song that got kind of popularized throughout the pandemic called The Blessing that's based on this, uh, this specific scripture. And we felt we were, that God was asking us to sing this song over you, a song of blessing. And when, we're, when we do that, I'm going to ask the leaders of the church just to move through the congregation and just to pray a prayer of blessing over each one of you. How many of you this morning feel like I could use a fresh blessing from the Lord? Maybe there's nothing specific going on in your life, anything, no, nothing major, but just, yeah, God, like I could use some refreshing. I could use a fresh blessing. If that's you, I just want to ask you to stand this morning. Maybe some of you this morning, you feel like, I could use the keeping of the Lord. I find myself in a situation where I feel like I need God to protect me. Like I'm up against a situation that does not feel safe at all. 
If that's you this morning, I just want to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the leaders to come pray for those of you who are in that place of needing to feel protection. Or maybe for some of you, you need to feel the smile of heaven look in your direction. You need to feel the favor of the Lord over your life afresh this morning. If that's you, would you stand? Or maybe you need to feel the graciousness of the Lord. You feel like you, when you look at God, what you, what you tend to see is a God who's frustrated with you, and you need to feel him be gracious towards you this morning. Or maybe you're in a position where you just feel hopeless. You're like You don't feel hope for your life. You don't feel hope for the world, for our country, for anything. You just feel a lack of hope. And you need God to give you hope this morning afresh for the journey ahead. Or maybe you're one of those people that is struggling with anxiety. Maybe that's been a very real challenge for you in this season. And you want God to come and give you a prescription of peace this morning that passes all understanding. And if that's you this morning, I just want to ask you to stand. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song over you and believe for God to release his blessing over your life. And the leaders are going to move through the congregation and pray for you. You guys can start to do that.